This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to cutting through all the confusing marketing BS so you can actually understand how to take action and change your business today. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about marketing to different cultures and how to effectively do so. So as you all know, we often like to capture topics that are coming to us regularly and discuss them on the show. And this is one of those that keeps coming up. And we talk a ton about intentional marketing and being consumer centric, which will also be part of the conversation today. But in this instance, it means being more mindful of cultural nuances. And really, this can make or break your marketing efforts, so it's important to discuss in detail. So that's the plan today. But before we get started, and as we like to do when the topic requires it, we're bringing on a marketing to cultures expert, Donnie Aldean, founder of Cultures Magazine and an expert in cross-cultural communications. Donnie, welcome to the show, and please introduce yourself. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, my name, as you said, is Donnie Aldean. I am editor-in-chief for Cultures Magazine. We celebrate cross-cultural identity because everyone should feel like they matter. So it really focuses on the in-between spaces, people who straddle culture, race, ethnicity, nation, or location. Mm. And I know that may seem a little strange for people who come from homogeneous cultural situations, but um, straddling nation or location means that you've moved around a lot domestically or internationally while you were a child. And and the time and place matters because uh, while you're forming your identity before age 18 makes a huge impact on how you perceive culture, how you interact with culture, and what culture means to you. What's funny about it is not everybody knows um, their actual cultural identity. People who traverse the globe when they're children are called third culture kids. Mm. And um, when they traverse domestically, they're domestic third culture kids. And some of the other cultural... fluid, culturally fluid identities are mixed race, multi-ethnic, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I focus on that and they teach a class at university at Colorado State called Media and Global Culture Identity. So we talk about media marketing and cultural identity and how to do that best. So that's me. It's a great setup. And I think you all just heard why Donnie is a part of this episode with us. So We've had a couple of conversations and we're really looking forward to tapping into her expertise because I think you're right, Donnie, you have a lot of personal experience based on your background, but have also channeled that to help others embrace their culture and really know who they are. So with that, we will get into how to effectively market to different cultures. All right. Number one, really take the time to get to know your consumer. And we talked about this in the setup. We talk about this all the time on the forthright people side about how you need to reach consumers where they are. They're savvier than ever. They're being communicated to all the time. And they want the messaging to be relevant to what they want to hear, not something that you are pushing onto them. And so what this means is doing your due diligence to locate them and identify the types of communications that they're looking for. And really, we've learned this the hard way, if we're being honest, from a cultural standpoint uh, over our years and in me at Forthright People and in previous instances of if you don't do the right work from a cultural aspect, you can end up sounding tone deaf and not even know it. So it's really important to tap into folks that have expertise to marketing to different cultures in general and really truly understand different cultures and the nuances. So therefore, obviously, that's why we have Donnie. 
And Donnie, I know you like to talk about how the process might not look the way you're used to. So you have to move outside of the way we've always done it and get creative. And I'm sure you have way more to say about this. So I will just stop talking and hand it over to you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting when you talk about being tone deaf. It's I just this morning and last night was talking to a colleague who um, is a member of majority culture, meaning they're not minoritized. Well, they're a woman. So, but in terms of um, ethnic minority, mm-hmm. they talk about how their whole family from the Mayflower is from the United States, right? Mm. And this person, because I know them well and I work with them and we're friends, I know where their heart is and I know how they feel about certain things. That does not mean that they cannot be tone deaf, mm-hmm. right? It's so interesting because just yesterday, I won't give too many details because I don't, if she hears this episode, I don't want her to know it's her, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, she was so thrilled this morning because she uh, was working on a giving back initiative at her company um, for an African-American population or a black population. And, um, and she was so excited about it and had been working really hard to get this initiative going. And when she does things like that and many other things that I've observed her to do, you know that her heart is in the right place. You know that she's working toward making the world a better place. And <laughs> two nights before that, we were at dinner where um, I'm Afro-Latina. Uh, so uh, another Latino is at the table who's Peruvian. I'm Trinidadian, Costa Rican. And um, the the Peruvian had said something. Um, she's Peruvian American, so th- that's key because the way things are in the United States is very different than, let's say, she were she were in Peru, right? Mm, yes. So she made a comment about um, floods in New Orleans and why certain things were happening and how the infrastructure was and and why certain people were affected, meaning minoritized populations. And she made a, she said, um, because racism is what this uh, particular woman had said. And the other woman that I'm talking about, who I know her heart is in the right place, she was like, well, why? And she's peppering questions at the first woman. And the first woman, the Peruvian woman, is giving the right answers. However, I could totally see it was such a an interesting situation. I could see how those answers weren't satisfying the question, right? Mm. And we ended up saying, we looked at each other, the Peruvian woman and myself, we knew what was happening. We knew what what she was trying to say, which is the reason that some of these things happen is because behind the scenes, people don't realize we're culturally socialized to do things in a way where we may minoritize people unexpectedly. In other words, you don't expect much of them. You don't give them much. You make things harder for them. You make it harder for them to to work through things. You make it more expensive. That's really what she was trying to say, but without saying the actual words, because those words sometimes inflame people, Mm -hmm. right? So the first woman, and back to being tone deaf, I know her heart's in the right place. I know she's asking the question because she wants to know. She wants to learn. However, in this particular case, there needed to be much more context. There needed to be much more education for her to understand the full meaning of what the second woman was trying to convey. And I hope that gives a little context to to, uh, tone deafness in that people with very good intentions very good hearts and who work really hard at this work all the time doesn't mean that they're always going to get it right. And that the people that you ask questions of 
aren't always going to be able to give you the answers, especially in a truncated space of time. I mean, you're out at dinner or whatever the case may be. I can't give you the full history that will then allow you to have the context to understand why I feel that this may, or she, in this case, this other woman felt that this was a racialized situation versus um, just a normal, oh, we don't have good infrastructure. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that's a really um, thought-provoking situation that you know brings up, I think, a lot of questions and in my mind too, because I think that seems to be kind of at the pinnacle is people don't always assume everybody's heart's in the right place, right? And right. so that kind of creates a lot of the conflict that I think we see. And then a lot of the nuances that are missed is in interacting in, in a multicultural way, but as well as doing the multicultural marketing. Do you have any like thoughts, and maybe we'll get into this later, but do you have any thoughts about how people can kind of quickly adapt in those situations and in, in you know or like if they feel like they're going in the wrong direction how you know somebody could be aware of that and, and then kind of quickly adapt because it feels like such a like a very tricky place to be in it is a tricky place to be in i mean it's so funny uh, you and i had talked about how none of us are a thousand percent experts, right? Like mm -hmm. you could be an expert in this, but as an expert, you should always be learning and you should always be open because there's always going to be more situations that you've never run into before or people haven't talked about or you have to think through. It's just like marketing, right? You know, people think marketing is a science, A plus B equals C, but it's actually an art. Well, here's the formula. And we have to think through the context and the situation and the environment in order to get it right. So it's not going to be the same every time. Right. Mm -hmm. And so in this particular situation, your question, um, I think people just should be open and I'll, I'll elaborate a little more on the particular thing that happened. So I know that the, the woman, because she's very adept. Uh, I'll just call her. Oh, I was about to give a name that wasn't a good name. Let me pick a different one. Um, <laughs> Leslie, we'll call her Leslie. <laughs> I was going to pick a K name. I'm like, oh, no, oh, no, not that, that one. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so Leslie could clearly see that the Peruvian woman and I were giving each other eyes. Right. Uh, yeah. She's very adept. And she could she knew she was missing something. But she couldn't see what she was missing. Hey, it wasn't my conversation and I don't want to work 24 hours a day. So I wasn't going to jump in. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> you were you were off the clock at that point. That's right. I'm like, I'm not getting into this. We're supposed to be having a good time. <laughs> not an educate. It's a, it, it was an educatable moment, but really the lift was too big for that situation. Right. Sure. And um she could see she was missing something, but she couldn't tell what. And the second woman, let's call her Tammy, couldn't give the context for her to go, th go there. And actually, I didn't have the full context either. I could have explained it better, but I, I don't know that she would have gotten it. The difference is that Leslie is a very confident person. She's very forceful in the way that she asks questions. So if you do that, and you want information from, let's say, people of color or minoritized populations, and you're asking them to help you, educate you, that makes it hard, mm -hmm. right? It's like, okay, I, I probably would have said again, because I don't want to work 24 hours a day, hey, look it up. <laughs> <laughs> look it up, do some education, then come back and let's chat, rather than <laughs> you want me to educate you right now, because we're supposed to be having fun right now, right? And... um. 
And some people feel that's dismissive. Some people are like, well, why can't you help me out? But why can't you help yourself out? How can help me out? Right. Mm-hmm. Go do some research. Here are a couple of keywords. Do some research and come back. Show me that you're willing to do the work and then I'm willing to do the work with you. Yeah. I think that is awesome. And actually, that leads really nicely into the next point here, which is around being willing to test and learn to get to the right place. Um, and, you know, you and I talked a lot, Donnie, about how what works for one culture or group doesn't necessarily work for another. There's no copy and paste in marketing. To your point about the formula, it does not exist out there. It is an art form. So you really have to do that hard work to resonate, to figure out what resonates with your consumer from a messaging standpoint. And I think your point just previously is well taken in that it isn't really easy work. And I'm hearing you say there are so many layers and so many nuances. And I can see through that why people sometimes, you know, we we all have a day job, right? So we have things that we're responsible for on a daily basis. And sometimes, unfortunately, stuff that's really important falls off. But I think the point of this second one is it allows for some grace in the situation if you assume that people do have their hearts in the right place and they're trying to do the right things, the idea of testing and learning allows for feedback in a way that can be really helpful to getting to the right place and also seeing people actively trying to do the right things. So I'm sure you have lots of things to say about that, but I I do think it's important to know that you're going to have to work to figure it out and you're going to do some things right and some things wrong in the process. Yes, exactly. And, you know, just, uh, you know, in a nutshell, you're basically talking about giving people grace, right? And mm-hmm. and that's something when I talk about that, that example and how Tammy in that situation was trying to say, hey, these minoritized populations basically aren't given the grace mm-hmm. that, oh, you might be good at this or you might know what you're talking about or you weren't trying to cheat the system. People always assume, or I shouldn't say always, often the worst is assumed. Mm -hmm. And so they get the short end of the stick, right? And so when we talk about learning and giving people grace, again, we're giving you basically a privilege that's not always returned. Mm. Grace is a big one. Grace is a big one. I see it all. I see it with myself. I see it every day to other people where whether we realize it at the front of our brains or not, um, or consciously that we may assume quickly assume I've seen it to truncate what I was about to say. I've seen it with people that have worked with me for decades and know me and praise me. And then one little thing happens or someone that they just met says something opposite of what, what the, the original person who's worked with me knows to be true. And all of a sudden you're questioning. I'm like, wait a second, (laughs) 15 years of Praise means nothing. All of some random, some rando just walking in the door could say, hey, well, that wasn't my experience. And you believe it? You didn't even look into it? You didn't check? Wow. Okay. I know where I stand now. That is the beauty of grace is knowing, okay, well, hmm, this might be true. I've never heard this before, but let me look into it. I don't know this to be true. This has not been my experience. I will check this out. And that's the grace that's not always given to minoritized populations or people of different cultures. Yeah. And I think also um, what I've I've seen a lot, and I know, you know me and April faced this a lot, even being women in business, is the generalizations that 
come with, um, you know, I, I, I hate to say stereotypes to some right. respect, but it's it's just generalizations based on what people see and the narrow vision of what people see. And then they how they generalize that to a whole population of people. Um, I mean, we even do that now um, from a a age range standpoint when we we talk about and we generalize millennials as an example of yes, you know and yes. you know and it's just a really interesting that it you know why people do that because it, you know it does it simplifies people's contextual understanding of the world around them but it's become so disastrous in the way that people have been internalizing what they're seeing in 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 such a kind of narrow way and then you know that becomes real for them and i know when we you know we've done cultural marketing too in in the way that we're trying to you know, really just figure out the right ways of connection is to really just take the opportunity to immerse yourself right yeah. and and it's it feels really awkward and it and it totally totally can be and it can feel really uncomfortable and you know you could get some you know strange looks if you want to know more about you know AA community or the black community and, you know go to events that are you know highly populated by the black community you understand a little bit more about the culture you understand a little bit more about the people um it just kind of helps you to have some empathy and and and, and understanding it doesn't make you an expert, but it does give you some insight onto like people. And 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 when you can see people from a human standpoint in that way, it starts to kind of feel differently than to say, okay, we're well, going to generalize a whole population of people based on this like narrow piece that I've seen. Well, two things with that, you know, our brains, our brains are wired to jump to those conclusions. It, because we can't absorb all the stimuli coming in around us, right? Yep. So that helps us do things quickly and be efficient. That makes sense. But that's where we, on a conscious level, must now say, okay, I know this is true. It's a human, I don't want to say flaw, but a, a human uh, trait, right? And it's there for a reason. But I have to make sure that I'm conscious of what I'm doing. I have to be open, mm -hmm. as you mentioned at all times and really look at how I'm viewing situations and don't just assume, oh yeah, I'm I'm a good person, I'm open-minded. I didn't do this or that. I didn't make an assumption, as you said, even with women, right? With all mm -hmm. things, because that's how our brains are wired. That helps us be efficient. And so, you know, knowing and taking the time, even for me, I have to do this on a regular basis. This is literally my life. I've grown up in so many different cultural situations. I am adept at so many situations, yet still on a daily basis, I have to make sure that I'm open because making assumptions is something that we all have to guard against. Yeah. And I think it's such a good point. And I love the way that you talk about this topic in general, Donnie, because you're able to bring it back to things that are just part of who we are as humans and not using that as an excuse, but knowing there are reasons, right? Our brain is wired a certain way. We are hit with so much messaging. We are just getting by sometimes given the situations that we are in. But also then none of that is an excuse, right? And putting it into practice around having that openness with ourselves and holding ourselves accountable as well as the openness with other folks and other populations and other cultures and all of those things. A hundred percent. And that's how we make a difference. You know, as you mentioned, going to those different um, situations or communities or events and being around different cultures, that is one of the pieces, right? 
and still knowing that there's more to do because Mm -hmm. I can give you countless examples of people I know that do that and still miss the boat, Mm -hmm. still are tone deaf, still do things that make my jaw drop. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I know where their heart is. So I know that they would be mortified or will be when we talk about it because we will. (laughs) (laughs) There's that accountability. (laughs) Right. But also because I, I love you and I want you to learn from that. Um, I, there's plenty of people that I just let it go because I don't have time or energy for you. Right. And it's, I feel like it would be wasted breath, but Mm -hmm. there's plenty of people that I choose to do the heavy work and walk through that with you. And in those instances, I love when people are open and the first thing you don't, don't just apologize. Don't before I'm finished with the sentence (laughs) before, before I even tell you why this was an issue. Don't just jump to apology because that's almost as bad as not recognizing it at all. Not hearing what you could do differently. You're not learning from the situation is not going to help anyone. And taking me taking the time to talk to you about it and to show you what happened, how it happened, how it could be different. That's a chance for each of us to really flex our chops. Uh, Me on how to be kind and empathetic in the delivery and you on how to listen, even if it's painful, right? Mm -hmm. And to grow in that moment of pain and then do differently next time. Don't just, uh, an apology isn't the way. That's just, we talked about science and a formula. Oh, let's just do this. Oh, I did something wrong. Sorry. But did you hear what was wrong? Are you going to be different next time? That's the key. Well, and our next number three point here is be brave enough to change course when something doesn't work. It's a process. And I think we've talked a lot about grace so far, but I think the braveness is another part of it because like you just said, when you get in those situations, people jump to apology again because they're trying to do the right thing, but they're not taking the time to really hear the feedback. And I think that that really requires a certain braveness that is hard to swallow the fact that this is a hard discussion that you've done something unintentionally. I mean, like you said, there's plenty of instances where it's just a throwaway, right? And you're not going to change anything and that is what it is. But if you are a really good person with a good heart that's in the right place and you end up in these situations, that's where I think the braveness comes in to internalize it and do the work to have the conversation, but then also learn beyond that and become different because of it. And to know that that is going to continue to be part of the process. Like you said, it's not immersing yourself in the culture and then thinking you know everything about it or going to an event and believing that you understand. There's just so many different cultures, instances, groups, all those things out there that it's impossible. Back to the point about being an expert in everything, we just can't. And so if we view it as a process and we're going to be brave enough to tackle the situations, I think that's just the really important other side of showing grace. Exactly. A hundred percent. And, you know, I, again, I have so many examples, but what comes to mind is another person who, it was a very delicate situation. And actually in this situation, you would think it had nothing to do with culture. It actually was a male female situation Mm. that kind of blew up and it could have been, and it was a very sexualized situation um, with interesting points of view. But for me, even with all the layers that came with that situation, what I wanted this person to know, and I know they would have wanted to know, 
is there is a layer um, about this person's culture where it would demonize them, uh, demonize the culture. And um, this, the first two of the people involved, women, the first one immediately jumped to apology and the second one shut down. It's like, I don't want to have this conversation anymore. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I said, I said, uh, you all called me up here. I didn't ask for this conversation. <laughs> hey, listen, remember, you, you're, you're shutting it down. I took my time to come up here, you know, and, and be part of this when I didn't have to. And that, thank goodness was enough. And I, and I did expand on that and kind of said, Hey, here's what I hope for you. Mm-hmm. Meaning hope that you get out of this. And that was enough. You know, they, they settled down because uh, let's face it. Even, and I, I say it all, t- all the time to my staff, Tell me what I need to know. I can't guarantee you that I would have the best reaction <laughs> right? when you first tell me. I can't I can't say at this moment how it will be when you tell me, but know that I will listen. And if I don't have a great reaction, I will come back to it, right? And that's what happened in this instance. Of course, it hit them pretty hard. They were shocked at themselves. It really had nothing to do with me, right? Once I pointed it out, it was like, oh my God, it's the disbelief that did I really do that? And that's where the reaction came from. And then I took a moment and said, hey, here's what I wish for you. I mean, if you want to walk away, that's fine. Here's what I wish for you. And in that moment, they could see that the judgment wasn't necessarily there. And also it gave them a few seconds to bring it back and change their reaction because they had already gotten up and were almost out of the room. And in that pause, they came back. Right. And it wasn't like this big gesture of, okay, I'm walking back. I'm listening now. It was, <laughs> it was like a meandering. Oh, I'm going to get some water. Okay. Now I'm going to sit back on the couch. I'm still <laughs> the couch, you know, and you let them do that because it had the effect. They stayed for the rest of the conversation. We ended up having a fantastic conversation and the outcome was positive for everyone involved. And it could have been a very volatile situation. I've seen that so many times and the outcome from a cultural standpoint, what isn't a good one and it's not left in a good place. But in this one, we were able to get it there because of all the parties involved. So we all have to be open. We all have to give grace. We all have to know there's more work to do. And there's not really ever, even though I said, I want to work 24 hours, there's not really ever downtime when it comes to this, right? I mean, we're humans. We live in a society. We have relationships. We're always working at those relationships. So do I want to do heavy lifting and educate you at this moment? Maybe not because that's my job, but do I want to love you and show you how things could be different? Okay. As a friend, I could do that. As as a colleague, I could do that. So those are the parts where we do have to be aware in the work that never ends. Yeah. I think that's a, a really fantastic example of you know that just a the level of intensity that there uh, the, these situations kind of create and i think it's also the intensity which is why a lot of brands and businesses kind of avoid in some cases the cultural marketing because they're, they're afraid they're going to get it wrong and then instead of having like one person or two people you know upset with you and angry with you you have like a whole public upset and angry with you like, what what do you how do you guide businesses as they're thinking about like doing this marketing and you, you know they're going it's gonna be a lot more public you know than an interaction or a, you know a couple people interaction not that it's less important but just that it's on a grander scale Right. You know, it's interesting. I, I, it's very much what I still 
also the advice I give to people, I give to corporations as well. And it's, it's not as palatable for them because it could cost money. It could cost face. It could cost um, reputation. But in the end, as far as I'm concerned, if you know you are doing the work, really doing the work, and if we personify a company, if we know your heart is in the right place, like your values are set and you really want to do this, then you need to put your foot in it. You need to take the risk and just stick your neck out and do what you think is right. Right. And we see a lot of companies who are brave enough to do this. We see so many companies who recently have taken a stand for LGBTQ rights or for um, actually, we can even look to COVID right now and um, different states who are mandating, no, you can't have a mask or which I find very interesting. Right. Uh, to say you can't do something that somebody might want to do um, or you have to do something. If you look at that and taking a risk, taking a stance either way could really affect you with your public. Let's say if you're a politician and not being wishy-washy as we often think of politicians like, oh, you want to straddle the fence and not really say one or say something to one group and say something different to another. But take a stand and say, no, it should be this way for these reasons, even if there's backlash. That is the advice that I give to corporations, because, again, if your values are in the right place, you've done the work, you've done, you have the education, you keep an open mind, then eventually it will turn around. And not only will it turn around, you'll have a better outcome in the end because you stuck to your guns and you did the right thing. Well, and that leads nicely to point number four, which is embrace all the feedback. And I think what you just said, right, is yes, if you do all the homework and you do all the right things and you really have done all the previous things we talked about, you're going to get feedback either way. And this is where grace comes in again, right? It's listening to the feedback objectively, seeing if there's merit Trying to think that if someone has taken the time to give you feedback, that is an opportunity to learn. And then also knowing on the other side that some people put things on blast just for the sake of doing so or disagree. And Anne mentioned before about how these situations get fueled really fast. And that's why a lot of times corporations don't want to step in it. But all of that energy is going to be part of the response. But if you Really think about it the same way as you think about the reason you did it in the first place. Looking at the feedback through that lens helps you continue the process and continue to learn. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And realizing, you know, it's kind of like with the whole George Floyd thing last summer and um, whatever side you are, whatever opinion you have about Black Lives Matter as a group right? The concept of social justice and really what it stands for. There's people who have tried to say, you know, George Floyd wasn't a good person. That's why you shouldn't pay attention. But that's not the point. The point is what this elicited, what his death elicited, the change that could come about because of that, the eyes that were opened to injustice that happens very often. And hey, by the way, injustice is injustice. It doesn't matter, or you don't get to say it doesn't matter because the person was a good or bad person, right? Like that's not a valid argument, right? Oh, well, we don't think you're a good person, so we get to do bad things to you and it's fine, right? That doesn't work. And so 
no matter where you fall, if you are on the right side of quote unquote history, which is a lot of what happened last summer, even we talk about Asian hate and some of the things that happened with that, what is the right thing to do? You look at the past, you look at the civil rights movement, you've looked at any major change in the world over time. It's people who have the courage and understand for humanity what is right and what is good and what's the benefit right to everyone as good people and how do we make that choice and be the one or the two or the 10 that are willing to stand up and then others can follow you know i don't know if you um i can't think of the name of the research right now but typically it's the second person in a group that starts momentum right you need the leader you need the person who's going to stand out there and go hey, you know, this is wrong or let's do this or whatever the case may be. They make the decision, they start the fire. But it's not until the second person joins them that people say, okay, it's safe. There's there's not just one crazy person out there. <laughs> there's a couple of people, right? Okay, I'm going to join too. No, I'm going to join. I'm going to join. And so now there's a group and it makes it easy for the people who aren't as fearless to now join in. So really the second person is the one who starts the momentum, but it's essential to have the leader who's willing to do the work and be out there by themselves until someone else can go, okay, I can do this too. Yeah, I think that is really well said. And I, you raised two points in my, in my head too, because we got a lot of questions um, when all of the uh, the social unrest was happening, and you know, everybody's like, "Should we should we say something? Do we participate? Like, what do we do?" And we always start with, "Well, what did what is your own personal uh, motivation and your point of view, and then what is your business motivation and point of view, and do those match up?" Because I think you said early on, it's like if you're going to do this, you need to go all in and you need to make sure that you have the right infrastructure and support for it. So it's not like a one-off thing because we saw a lot of that happen too. And that's not the point of creating, you know, the, the movement and in, in, in the change that we want to see, but it's also being very mindful. And we had to have a lot of these hard conversations with some of our clients. Is it a personal motivation or is it a business-based motivation? And you have to separate the two as well, because you have to understand, you know, the bigger concept of your business and the position you're putting your business in um, versus what you're you're personally advocating for. What do you think about that? And how do you help people really figure that out and distinguish that for themselves? You know, it's an interesting point. I, I don't know that I've ever thought through personally how people feel when I'm talking to corporations. Mm-hmm. That is a really good point. I've never, I've never thought about it. I've just made the assumption that they're going to do the right thing, right? <laughs> and, um, and I focus on the business part of it. But I like that you all said that. I think that's a really good way to look at it because in the end, it's kind of like what we talked about momentum, right? If someone on a personal level has made a decision and they know this is the right way to go, then that can really lead them to help make change in their organizations. Because there's too many people that don't, they won't make change in their organizations. They don't want to rock the boat. They're not willing to take the personal um, strife or sacrifice that may come with that. So I really like that you brought that up. Um, I always just make the assumption they're doing it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, step up to the plate with me. And, um, and yeah, I, that's, you, you really have me thinking on that one. I know. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but you know, for corporations, yeah, you do. It's a business decision and there may be consequences. So you have to think it through. And for me, I just go from that level and the people have to go along with it. So again, for me, it's the assumption that you will step up as well. So when I'm talking about the corporation, I'm also talking about the individual um, because, you know, the corporation, if that they are the leader, the individual can be the second. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that creates the momentum. And both of you have something to lean back on, especially when you know your corporation or your organization is going to back you. Right. That's key because a lot of the, I was going to say advice, but a lot of the groups I work with, a lot of the work that I do, the biggest thing is that the individuals are scared that the corporation won't continue to step up. Mm-hmm. They're scared that this is lip service, that it's performative. And so they're not willing to stick their necks out because they will be the one left on the line, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of times the work we do involves trust. You have to gain the trust of the people. So they realize, okay, it's okay. I can do this. I can stand up. And wow, let me tell you how powerful it is. Once that trust is gained, they move you forward like you would not believe. The ideas and the the momentum and the joy and the, um, gosh, the energy that comes from those people once they feel that trust is phenomenal and the organizations benefit greatly. Yeah, I think that's so well said. And I, I think that that kind of goes across cultures of organizations no matter what lens we're taking, right? Because a lot of what we talk about when we're doing coaching and leading and you know training managers and things is empowering the people and standing behind them and building that trusting relationship and i think that is when the magic happens across the right. organization because people can let go of anything that's holding them back or those worries that are in the back of their mind and really feel like they can go for it right Okay, so just to recap how to effectively market to different cultures, our four points have been really take the time to know your consumer, find the right resources, tap into them, spend the time learning what you need to know, be willing to test and learn to get there, know that what works for one culture or group may not work for another, be brave enough to change course when something doesn't work and know it's a process, so it's not a set it and forget it situation. You have to keep on it, keep digging, keep working, and keep changing. And then embrace all the feedback. This can be one of the best ways to learn and heighten your awareness and continue that process. Are you craving a deeper dive immersion into the topics on our podcast? Then you will appreciate our virtual consultancy. Located on the shop page of our website, forthright-people.com, you can now download our digital coaching modules on vigilant leadership, culture building, and social strategy. For the cost of a book, you will get diagnostic tools and exercises to assess your current state and development tools to quickly and intentionally improve your proficiency. These are quick yet effective ways to improve your marketing savvy today. Check it out and let us know other topics you would like us to go deep on. So in our next segment, as all of you know, we give real-world examples specific to industries and situations, but with broad applications so that anyone can digest them and put them into action. And we've already talked a lot of great examples today, so this will just continue on that part of our conversation. So the first in the trenches is, what is the best advice you've gotten when it comes to marketing to different cultures? And I'm going to steal from Donnie here and say, go all in. I know you say being fearless, rather, but that is 
my interpretation of going all in, knowing that we're not perfect. We've talked a lot about grace and bravery, but also doing the hard work. So if you follow the principles and you really feel like you're set up, you just have to you know, go out and do it or step in it, as you said previously on the episode. We talk on our podcast about a lot of situations where there's tons of paralysis because people are waiting to just get it just right, basically. And the good thing is the digital world we're in allows us to pivot more seamlessly. We've talked about how many messages people are bombarded with every day. We're no longer in the marketing of, okay, this is a $300,000 60-second TV spot and it's you know 50% of our budget for the year and we've got to get it exactly right. There is flexibility to be able to do that testing and learning. But really, you have to do all the foundational things we've talked about today and then just go for it. A thousand times, yes. Um, And again, it goes back to bravery. And we also talked about um, the empathy and the kindness that needs to come with that. It makes it, and it's not just for people, it's for corporations too, right? And that makes it easier to put your foot in it. Here's the other thing too. I think if people realize how much easier it is on the other side (laughs) to not put yourself out as the person who knows everything all the time, that's so great all the time and does everything right the first time. First of all, who is that? Right. And companies and organizations. Yeah. Companies and organizations are made up of people. So corporations can't be that either. And if you give yourself again, the grace, the corporation, the grace to know that you will do the right thing, have that culture that moves you forward, always striving to do the right thing, then it's easier to put your foot in. It's, it's so, it's so relieving. It, it makes, it builds your confidence in a way that, okay, to me, perfection is mediocrity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when people say anyone on my team who's ever said, oh, I try to do things perfect, then what I hear is, oh, you're pretty lackluster, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> you're not willing to take the risks it takes to be exceptional. So you want to be perfect because that means you're less than. And you won't put anything out that's not perfect in your eyes. And along the way, we lose opportunities. We lose opportunities for growth. We lose opportunities for challenge. We lose opportunities for feedback. But you think it's perfect or this is what you think perfection looks like. And so we can't be exceptional. Um, yeah, to me, it's just an excuse for mediocrity. So, uh, I think when people realize that letting your hair down a little bit and not being so uptight actually makes you better at what you do. Yeah. And I think that's a a really good point. And I remember having some of that conversation early on in my, um, my, my days with, uh, with Tide and we had somebody give us the feedback. It's like, you know, we, we, are trying so hard to create like the perfect, perfect spot, but our, the, the talent that we're actually getting for these spots doesn't represent our consumer base. And, you know, that was kind of like an aha for, you know, a lot of us who didn't really, you know, recognize that because it's been like that forever. And I think the best advice we ever got there was, you know, you don't have to like go from point A to point B and like a thousand miles per hour with your foot on the gas. It's like, 
just start become more culturally conscious of what you're putting out there and making sure mm-hmm. the diversity is being recognized and that make sure that as you're thinking about the way that you're you're copying you know putting copy in and against the the talent that the the language is you know how they would speak you know th- those sorts of things and just being more mindful of that goes a long way at least to begin with without having to think like okay I need to do a whole full program that's like culturally directed and you know I'm going to be putting my business at risk I mean just becoming more culturally conscious I think was a huge step in the right direction for us and now of course like that's evolved into much more bigger and broader programs but um I I thought that was a a really great way of just like kind of getting the 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 whole conversation going yes you know it's interesting too. I like that. And taking baby baby steps is allowed. Baby steps <laughs> is allowed. You know, let the information sink in. You know, give yourself a chance to absorb it. But you know, when I was working, I uh, do my PhD work. It was interesting because, man, let me tell you. And I was working at the same time. Woo! First of all, that's hard to go from <laughs> the practical to the theoretical every day. Like to it literally physically hurt my brain. You could feel the new grooves being dug into your brain as you're learning things. And there were many times I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know what you're saying. Like, what does that mean? Right? <laughs> you're, trying, you're trying to absorb the information, but baby steps because it's like, okay, whatever. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what you're saying, but you keep going. You keep going to class, you keep doing the work, you keep turning in. Oh, I got an A on this paper. I didn't know what I was saying, right? <laughs> and then, <laughs> And then one day, all of a sudden, bing, you realize you didn't know what you were saying, right? Mm-hmm. You didn't realize it, but you knew what you were saying. It just hadn't fully absorbed so you could feel confident about it yet, right? But you keep doing the work. You keep putting one foot in front of the other. You don't give up. And eventually, when you least expect it, wow, I know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was a big lesson for me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's where, you know, we talk a lot on the podcast about insights, right? And what are true insights versus what are just observations. And I think what you just said there is exactly right. It's like you have to observe, observe, observe. I can't say that word many times in a row, but then you have to do the work to know and and just also internalize that you don't know everything. And then, yes, yes, those moments of the ping are the insights happening because things are coming together in the right way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how it's like the trajectory, it's like when you look at a graph, it's like it just spiked up all of a sudden out of nowhere. But really, it's not out of nowhere. You've just been dripping, dripping, dripping the information over time. And then now it's all absorbed and yep. we're happy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. All right. Question number two of In the Trenches. Our client list is becoming more diverse, but we're not diverse as a work culture. What do you suggest? And we've talked a lot around this. And so I'm just going to piece together some of the advice that we gave and let Donnie talk a little bit about her perspective on this as well. But, you know, first of all, you don't phone it in. We've talked about not doing the same thing and, and never having it work. That's just not the way to do, well, anything. But definitely in this situation, don't just say, well, there's a one size fits all for our clients. So it's going to work regardless of, of culture, group, situation, et cetera. 
And then take a look at your organization. So do you have anyone internally that is experienced with the culture? Are there other clients they've had? Are they of the culture? You know, do some digging, see if you have opportunity for learning internally. And then if not, bring someone in from the outside. So when you do that, make sure that you're vetting and making sure you're not just get it, getting lip service. We've talked about that in lots of instances throughout our shows of people that say they can do some things and they can't. You know, you want to vet and make sure that it's the right partner. But if you have that, you know, go ahead and and find that from the outside and use those people to help you. What have we been talking about the whole time? Learn and continue the process. And then also learn from your customers. And this can get really tricky because if you're serving a customer, right, you're supposed to be the expert, but we've talked a lot about how you can't be the expert in all things. And they know their business better than you're ever going to. So tap into that if they know their audience well, that you can lean in and share that expertise and then build the right response through your organization. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I... I love that organizations ask about this and that they want to be better at this. And and there's a part of me that's also like, wow, you know, your culture is not very diverse, but your clientele is diverse. Mm -hmm. So think about that for a second. That's part of the harm that's constantly done, right? Economically. In minoritized groups, often, um, especially companies, some, you know, sometimes companies don't quote unquote do the right thing or come to a conclusion until they see the monetary value of it, right? Mm-hmm. So as an example, black women in the United in the United States, probably worldwide, but definitely in the white United States, spend so much money on their hair, right? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until companies saw the value of that, I was like, oh, we can make how many dollars? That all of a sudden everyone jumped on the bandwagon. Right. So even with that, they might not have the best interest at heart. Let's hope that they do. But that's something that people are looking at today. And and when I say that is, as I say that with this question, think about it. Let's say a company, a large company, there are many of them. If you throw a rock in the hair care industry, you could find them. Um, and actually, even in the media industry now that your audience is diverse, but you're not diverse. So one, are you best serving them Mm -hmm. with what you're able to give, right? But two, and to my bigger point, you're not best serving them because you're not also bringing money back into that community. You're taking their money, but you're not helping your own consumers, which will then in turn help you because you're putting money back into that same community. And part of that is having people on your team who are part of those communities that are your customers or your clients, right? So we talked about it before and, and I love um, the the advice that you give, you know, never, never phone it in, always do something different to bring people onto your team. Um, is there someone who's experienced with those different cultures? Are they of that culture or not? But always try to find people who are of that culture. And just because they're of that culture doesn't mean that they're the best to work with that culture. I can give you so many examples mm-hmm. of that. As <laughs> yeah. you mentioned, you still have to do the research. You still have to do the work. And I guarantee you the answer is we tried and no, we couldn't find anyone. That is not the answer because there are millions. First of all, if you look at different different countries around the world, there's countries with all brown people. There's culture, countries with all Asian people. There's countries, they, they do all this work too. So to say you can't find someone, <laughs> you'll find somebody. 
And that's just kind of being facetious, but they're in the United States too. There are plenty of people with expertise in so many areas. You just need to do the work to find out where are they? Where do I look for them? Do the research to find, okay, you're a sleuth now. This is what you do for your clients. How do you make things better for your clients? Do it for yourself. Be a sleuth and find that expert that could help you get where you want to go right? And give back to that culture. One, by having people, uh, your clientele's culture, by having people who represent them well, okay, um, in your organization. Side note here, there are also there, there are also plenty of times that companies hire people to represent the population, but they don't do it well. You hired that person to represent your company in the way that your company has always been, not with your client in mind, right? From the outside, it looks like you're doing the thing, but really you're not. You just hired more people like you, but just with a different hue on the outside, right? I I guarantee you populations and clients are really seeing through that these days. Performative is a big word that's used quite a bit right now, and it's not appreciated. So that will backfire. So you really have to do the work. It can't just be like, ah, well, let's go out and hire someone who looks like this or who acts like this or whatever the case may be. You really have to be in it. So we talk about the authenticity of it. We talked about the grace and and um, um, putting your foot in it. That means being authentic. So don't just fake it. As you say, phone it in. No, um, do it for real. And the return will be 10, well, many fold. I was going to say tenfold, but just many, 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 many fold. Um, And yeah, give back to that community. They're giving to you. So give back and you can give back financially. And part of that financial giving back is having people on the team that truly, truly authentically represent that population, your client's population and serve your company's interests well. Yeah. That whole uh, conversation just reminded me of a story too, and um, in in hell, you can hire definitely for diversity, but then, especially since I came from you know the, the, the Procter and Gamble side, you can almost desensitize them in the process of whatever the company culture is. And I just remembered one story, and uh, we were reviewing TV copy, and um, there was a young brand manager in the room, a young uh, black f- uh, female, and she's a uh, she was asked her opinion about the commercial, and it was definitely one that was more intended to be um, appealing to more of the black culture. And she goes, oh, the, the commercial's fine. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she goes, the black community won't like it, but it's fine. <laughs> you know, so it was like like the two different sides of it where like nobody even thought to ask her, like, do you think this is going to appeal to the consumer side of of who we're trying to reach versus it was like more of what was like the com- it was a commercial meeting, like the criteria of what the commercial should meet from a you know, the, mm-hmm. the the actual creative standpoint or the, or the or actual construction of a commercial. So it was very interesting that, you know, there was like the two sides uh, of that, that coin. Um, and, you know, how like the diversity of thought almost got missed. Um, and and, and the to- again, going back to the tone deafness got a little bit missed because we as like in within that meeting, weren't asking the right questions that allowed somebody mm-hmm. to actually speak up with the the right feedback. So I thought that was interesting. That story just came up as you were talking about really that diversity of thought and how that's so important. Well, and uh, they were lucky that that person felt um, empowered enough or was strong enough or confident enough to actually add that little caveat at the end, right? (laughs) Like, like, oh, well, the Black community won't like it. They could have left it off, right? Because they might not 
felt safe is are you bringing when you diversify your workforce are you bringing people into a toxic environment meaning an, an environment where they won't thrive an environment where their voice isn't listened to an environment where they truly were the person that just visually was meant to show that you get this quote unquote um how are you supporting that person is the culture of the organization such that they their opinion and what you're looking for from them the work that you want them to do will actually be accepted and understood or uh, that you will try to understand it so they can actually do the job that you asked yeah. right yeah really you know um, yeah i mean it's really interesting there's so many people that end up leaving and or their their work is seen as lackluster and or they just don't feel like they want to put that effort into this organization because they see that the organization isn't going to make a change but in this particular example it could have been man bad either way she could he or she could have spoken up and and been either praised or listened to or <laughs> Or like, why? wait, what? We didn't ask you that, right? Mm -hmm. That could have been a response. The other side of that coin is, okay, they were spoken up and listened to, but what if it didn't work anyway? And then now they're looked at as what you told us. Now you asked me this question. I gave you this little bit of feedback. You didn't ask me for anything else. And you made the changes or whatever the case may be. Like they could be held responsible for the outcome. So the, the, atmosphere of the corporation and the culture of the workplace is a big part in the diversification. You can't just bring people into a place where they can't thrive or they're not listened or their voice isn't valued. It's got to be a two-way street, including all these other things that we've already talked about. And that will make a big difference, not just for the bottom line, but for the company culture as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's very well said. Okay, our final in the trenches question. What percentage of my marketing should I have devote to cultural marketing? And here I would say it depends really on your consumer demographic and psychographic. It's possible that much of your general marketing might appeal to diverse cultures if you're focused on the psychographics. So, for example, Anne loves the Tide example. Everyone wants mm -hmm. clean clothes. So performance claims on Tide worked regardless of the culture. Mm -hmm. So... That's one thing we can say there. There can be some marketing that is generalized enough. Again, if you're if you're focusing on psychographics, not demographics in this instance, that you can you can cover a lot of cultures. But there's also different ways to appeal to cultures, especially in different areas across the country, as an example, at different times of the year. So there's the Hispanic community celebrating the Hispanic Heritage Month. So I know Anne has an example of outreach that was done specific to that. And I'll stop talking and let you talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I think that was just a, a really important time for us to really honor uh, the culture and the Hispanic culture around that time. So we always did a specific effort that was very focused on making sure that we resonated and in, in, in talked to that culture in, in ways that were relevant to them. And, and actually targeted to specific demographics as well. And, and it's marketing, right? So it's an opportunity to get a new way in with a consumer um, that, you know, you, they might not feel like they you're talking to them all the time. So mm -hmm. um, 
But that was a very concerted effort. It definitely takes money and it takes time and it takes effort to make sure you get it right. We had a lot of folks who were helping us with that to make sure we did get it right. We even hired a cultural um, Hispanic-based agency in order to make sure we got that right. Um, And people local to the area to make sure we got that right. So it's not something that we just decided to do on a whim. It's something that we intentionally did in order to be able to celebrate our that, that consumer at that point in time. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, you just ticked off a lot of the things that we've been talking about today. But overall, there was the, at the top, the mindfulness to make sure that you were doing things the right way. And then the approach was taken because as we've talked on the other side of this, it could have very quickly gone wrong Mm -hmm. had the right work not been done, especially when it's a community that you don't necessarily target specifically at other times. And actually, to build on that, too, because we had the right people on the team that could speak from that that cultural group, we didn't always get it right. But they also helped us contextualize the responses when we didn't get mm. it right. So it didn't seem like, uh, you know, we're sorry. And to the point that you made, Donnie, of like, don't just keep on apologizing for it. It's like, oh, yeah, we're sorry. We won't do that next time. It's like they helped us construct the right response that's going to resonate within that community so that they could see that our intention was was right on, um, even if we didn't get it exactly right. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And it's interesting you know, it's so funny, as you said, Hispanic Heritage Month, uh, even in our publication, <laughs> we we go back and forth. Is it Latinx? Is it Hispanic? And, you know, I'm part yep, of that community. Yep. So I, I, I really don't have an answer for that. But um, they mean two different things. So that's interesting. But of course, in this is in the context of the U.S. as well. And I love that you all took the time to and made the concerted effort to make a difference. That's what it takes. And to just be conscious of that at all times. All right. I think that's a perfect wrap up. Uh, Our third and final segment is typically a real world example of a brand who does things well or not so well. And as we have a guest, all of you know that we turn this part of the conversation over to them. So, Donnie, feel free to, you know, promote the work you do, give additional examples if you feel so compelled, offer advice to our listeners and also make sure you let people know where they can find you. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, well, as we talked about before, I am editor-in-chief of Cultures Magazine. You can find us at culturesmag.com. And Cultures is spelled without an E. It's plural and it's missing the E because it's that missing E represents the hidden diversity of our population. So C-U-L-T-U-R-S-M-A-G dot com and cultures mag on all of the social channels you can find us there and we celebrate cross-cultural identity so everyone will feel like they matter and that really is what this is all about right um it's about making sure that we're seeing people that we're meeting them where they come from that we're understanding that we don't necessarily know everything and we're always learning and that we want the consumer to feel like we're speaking to them and that we understand them. Right. Um, same, same recap that, that you talked about and the four things that people should look at with the ma- their marketing at cultures. Um, we basically are a local public, publication headquartered in Colorado. Uh, We speak globally. We are available in 208 countries digitally, 208 countries and territories. People, I'm sure somebody out there was like, there are 208 countries. (laughs) (laughs) And then in stores, 
where in almost a thousand stores, things like Army Air Force um, exchange stores, um, Kroger grocers, that type of thing. So if you go to culturesmag.com forward slash cultures dash magazine, you can see our digital publication. And if you go to the shop, you can subscribe or you can find where you can get a print edition close to you. And and that's pretty much, I, I feel like I've said it all today. We had such a great conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we totally agree. So thank you so much, Donnie, for joining us. I do. I agree that this has been really good and a message that we've wanted to talk about, but we're looking for the right person to help us out. So I think we've done that today. So we appreciate you joining us and we appreciate your time. Thank you so much. All right. So just to recap really quickly, those four things that Donnie just mentioned, really take the time to get to know your consumer, find them where they are, find the right resources to help you and make sure that you're focusing on what they want to hear. Be willing to test and learn to get there. What works for one culture or group may not work for another. Be brave enough to change course when something doesn't work. It is a process. It is never a set it and forget it situation. You have to keep doing the work. And finally, embrace all the feedback. It can be one of the best ways to learn and heighten your awareness. And with that, we will say, go and exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. Mention you heard about us here, and we will give you a free 30-minute consultation. You can also share any topics you want us to cover, which helps us give real-world support to our listeners in real time. And if you learned something impactful, please share with a friend and don't forget to leave a rating and review on your favorite platform. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.